Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Chapter number 10. Acts chapter number 10. I'm going to read a few verses of scripture. And as last week, I'm going to let you sit and read more. Again, this is just as much for anybody's purpose uh, in doing so, so that you have a familiarity with uh, the story that is told here in God's word. Acts 10 and verse number one starting. I'll read the first eight verses. We'll pray and you'll be able to be seated and I'll continue on uh, for a few more verses. The Bible says there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people, prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius, when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa. Call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. When he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. Amen. Let's pray here this evening. Father, God, you're able to help us, Lord, in the next little while as we turn our attention toward your word. God, I pray, Lord, you would touch each and every individual, Lord, that has made an effort to be in the house of God tonight. God, minister to them. God, those that may be tired in bodies, we pray, Lord, you give them strength. God, that those that may be battling, Lord, sickness, God, I pray, Lord Jesus, you bring healing. I pray, oh, Lord, this evening, God, you have to speak, God, as you would desire. Lord, and I submit myself to you, Lord. Let every word from my lips, God, be right and true, marking the error from my mind the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to continue with verse number nine so that we'll have a setting here for the next little while. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh to the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. He became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened, a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts, creeping things and fowls of the air. There came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. 
This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what the vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause whereof ye are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man and one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them. And I'm going to stop right there midstream, verse number 23. Tonight I would like to speak to us tonight, and I take this from verse number 36 of this chapter. I want to talk to us tonight about he is Lord of all. He is Lord of all of all in the closing verses of chapter number nine uh, Peter graced the pages of the scriptures again as we've seen last week by the power of God he healed a paralytic man he raised a dead woman to life again and in chapter 10 we see that it is Peter not Paul but Peter will be very instrumental in the Gentiles, namely a man by the name of Cornelius in his household, receiving the power of the Holy Ghost. And it's very significant tonight that Peter is involved in this endeavor with uh, the, the Gentiles because we have seen Peter involved in the salvation of about three different people groups thus far in the New Testament Scripture. He no doubt was there on the day of Pentecost, he was there in Acts chapter number 8 uh, when he was called by Philip to come down and the Samaritans received the Holy Ghost. And now here in Acts 10, here it is Peter again that's involved uh, in the salvation of the Gentiles. And that is, should not take us by surprise. The Lord spoke to Peter in Mark, Mark 16, and he told him after people, Peter had the revelation that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, uh, the Lord spoke back to him and said that, uh, that thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the scripture says that the Lord said and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom. Everybody ever remember reading that? I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom. Now in the very, very elementary form a key is nothing more than something that, that either opens or locks a door, Right? locks or unlocks a door and so Peter has very properly been using those keys by being very influential in opening the gospel and the message of salvation not just to the Jews in Acts 2 but also instrumental in being there in Acts 8 and now here in Acts 10 these differing groups experiencing the salvation message and the gospel. And so, whereas his focus had normally just been primarily upon the Jews, the children of Abraham, now it encompasses all mankind. This is not just something for the Jews, for the Gentile, the Samaritan, whosoever will, he is indeed, God is the Lord of all. And so, this must have been part 
at least part of Peter's ministry and his purpose. This man, Cornelius, in the land of Caesarea, uh, he's here, and here's Peter over in another city called Joppa, which is about 30 miles from Caesarea where Cornelius is. And to understand that here's Peter 30 miles from, from Cornelius, and yet whenever we ended Acts chapter number 8, and Philip was carried out of the desert from the eunuch, he finished his preaching endeavor, the Bible says, in Caesarea. And so you might think, well, why didn't God just send Philip over to Cornelius? He's right there already stationed in Caesarea, and no doubt God could have done that if God desired to do that. He's God. Amen. They're in the same city. But perhaps God had Peter in particular to come from Joppa 30 miles to Caesarea where Cornelius was because for the simple fact he had told him and entrusted him with the keys to the kingdom. He had been there with the Jews, been there with the Samaritans, and he was going to have him there with the Gentiles because that covered everybody for that known day and time. If you wasn't a Jew, you was a Gentile or you're a half-breed of the two. You're a Samaritan. There is no other. There is not option D on the list. There's no none other. And so he's been there all along the journey. So concerning this Cornelius, let's look at this guy. This man, Cornelius, that is deemed a Gentile. You can read some of the first three verses of Acts chapter number 10. And we can learn a lot just right from the first three verses. We understand that he is a centurion, the Bible says, of an Italian band. He is some type of... Uh, in our, in our society, it would be like, you know, he's a general, or he's a colonel, he's, he's in some capacity concerning an army, so he must be somewhat of a disciplined man, a man that has leadership, and he's a centurion, the Bible says. Uh, the Roman armies, they would have, their armies were divided like this. They had a legion. Uh, I know what you think of the devil, maybe when you think of that, because he cast legion out of one, but that was 6,000 men. A legion consisted of 6,000 men, and then a legion was made up of, of what was known as, as, as ten, 10 cohorts, uh, and each of those was 600 men apiece. And then a cohort was made up of a, a, a century, all right? There were six centuries then of that, which were 100 men each. So this gentleman was over 100 men. He was a centurion. He was over a century. Not only that, uh, we also understand it was an Italian band. It's, it's highly probable then that he's from Rome. The Bible says that he's a devout man. Basically means that he's a good man. Maybe even a good religious man. All right? As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he feared God with all his house. So he has a, a certain reverence for God. He has a certain awe, you know, about God. The Bible says he gave much alms to the people. Now, man, I'm going, you know, check. Man, this is a this good guy. Man, he's he disciplined. He's, he, he, he's good, maybe good religious. He feared there's a certain awe uh, in his life concerning the Lord. Man, he's given money to people. Much money. Give him much. Man, this is really looking good for, you know, Cornelius right here. He prayed to, to God always. That means constantly, continually. Man, this is looking pretty good, Brother Greg. I mean, we're checking off this list right here. Whenever you read even further in the chapter, you look at verse 22, and the Bible says that he was a just man. Says that he was had a good report among the Jewish nations. He's a Gentile. But he has a good rapport among the Jewish nation. Now that, he's got a good reputation. 
He's got a good reputation. Verse 30 tells us even that he had been fasting. Everybody listening to me right now? He had been fasting, and I mean, to put the cherry on top, this guy, man, such a good guy, he even had a vision and seen an angel. Now, if I were to just give you that list in and of itself, some of you say, that guy, right, man, he's a, he's, a God, he's a good Christian man. That sounds like a good apostolic. Man, that sounds like a good Pentecostal. Matter of fact, in some of those instances, it sounds a little better than some apostolic Pentecostals I know. Praying always, fasting, giving much. Just make sure this thing's on. I mean, all this sounds great. And it could very well, Bishop, be a list for a Christian or be a list for an apostolic or a Pentecostal. I mean, he's a God-fearing man right here, but there's a problem. There is a fly in the ointment. And the fly in the ointment is this. Cornelius isn't saved. It's not saved. He fasts. He prays. He can even see a vision with an angel in it. He can give as much as he wants to. He can be a devout man. He can have a good reputation among his peers. But the humongous fly in the ointment is that he's not saved. And the equation is this. All of his giving won't accomplish that. Prayer in and of itself won't accomplish that. Fasting every meal for a week won't accomplish that. Having the best reputation among his peers, being spoken of good among others, even seeing an angel, will not accomplish that. We know he's not saved because the Bible tells us in Acts 11, verses 13 and 14, whenever uh, Peter is retelling uh, the story of everything that happened in chapter number 10, he says in verse 13, And he shewed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said to him, send men to Joppa. He's retelling Cornelius' story. And call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Peter's telling this story. In verse 14 it says, For who shall tell the words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved? Cornelius then was not saved. Someone say amen. And so you can be a good person, religious person, fasting person, Praying person, church attender, have a certain awe and reverence for God, give tithing and offerings, and still not be saved. Someone say amen. Dr. Gabeline said it like this. He said, you cannot live a life for God until you receive a life from God. And so this historical narrative of the Gentile salvation In reality, it really brings balance for us concerning the chapter we studied the last couple of weeks. It brings balance. It brings balance in that in chapter 9 that we studied, remember Saul, Saul who was changed to Paul. Saul was lost. Saul had a vision of Ananias coming to him. Ananias had a vision of Saul. Ananias was given instruction on how to reach Saul or where he might find Saul. But in Acts chapter number 10, this account tells us 
that Cornelius, the one who is lost, had a vision and was given instruction on where to find Peter. There's two things here. Ananias was the one that was the disciple, was told of where to find Saul. In this episode, it's the lost one, Cornelius, that is told where to find Peter and where he resided and was instructed to send men to get him to come back to their house. And Peter, on the other hand, he likewise is having a vision, but it's a vision that's helping him to accept Cornelius and those men whenever they would show up and want to take him back, all right? Want to take him back to their town and to their home. So in, in one story, Ananias has given directions to the lost that's waiting for him. In Acts chapter number 10, though, in another story, Peter was prepared to receive the loss that was give, given directions to where he lived. So in both episodes, God dealt with the loss and with the soul winner. Hmm? And so it's just another example how God works on both ends. And that also tells us, just by this two little chapters in Acts, it tells me this. There will be times you're searching for the lost. And there's times when they're going to be searching for you. And regardless of what the scenario is, if you're set out after them or if they are set out after you, we need to be ready to minister to them. Whoever they are, whatever their story may be, Whenever they find us or we find them. I'd be amiss tonight if I didn't make mention of this as a little footnote in all of this. In the past, in chapter 10 and chapter 9, there have been, there have been three of the four visions that we have been told about in these two chapters that the visions came when the people were praying. We've been told about four visions. Four visions. Saul had one, Ananias had one, Cornelius had one, and, and Peter had one. Three of the four received the visions whenever they were praying. The vision came while they were in the process of praying. As a matter of fact, the same Greek word translated vision in all four of these instances is the same Greek word, and it's used, and it simply alludes to this. This is its meaning. It simply alludes to. It means something supernatural. And so what I take from this, just very plain, very elementary, is this. The, su the supernatural happens when men pray. When men pause, stop, take a moment, talk to God. Here it is. Whether they're saved or whether it's a hungry soul, the supernatural happens when men pray. How many want the supernatural? Ask us the question. Then why don't we just keep and continue and practice a habit of prayer? Someone say amen. And so what we're dealing with here in chapter number 10, we're dealing here tonight with really a, a cultural prejudice that is here in the scripture that God is going to work on with Cornelius and both with Peter, not only were the Jews prejudiced toward the Gentiles, but the Gentiles were aware that they were prejudiced of them. And as a result of it, it's kind of like holding each other at arm's distance in a constant way of life. 
And only by God is Cornelius going to be convinced to send men to go find this Jewish Peter. And only by God would Peter be influenced by heaven to receive these men into the house where he is lodging and staying and even allow them to stay the night. Only by God. We look at this and it seems like no big deal. But I'm telling you folks, this was a big deal. If I can put it in proper perspective tonight, this would be like before, back before like 1963, before the, the slaves were ever given rights. It would be like before 1963, a white man going in a black man's house or a black man going in a white man's house. Uh, I'm talking about this was heavy prejudice between the Jew and the Gentile. This was no small thing for someone to approach another or to invite them into their home. This was very, very, very major. Yet God is so persuasive in telling Cornelius that he is to send men for this Jewish Peter. And he was already massaging, if you will, and softening uh, Cornelius to accept doing this, telling, as we spoke last week, him that you'll find him over there in Joppa, and he'll be by the seaside, and you need to inquire for one that is Simon, whose surname is Peter, and he'll be found in one of Simon the Tanner. Now, that already softens the heart, softens, if you will, this whole uh, peculiar odd ordeal for Cornelius, because if Peter is staying with a Simon who is the Tanner, then there's already, there's already some bending and bowing of this Jewish Peter. Because a tanner, folks, a tanner is nothing more but somebody that is constantly around dead animals. They're, they're taking their hides. They're tanning their hides. And so they're constantly around unclean animals. Their occupation is one that keeps them in a state of uncleanness almost perpetually. Amen. They're around dead animals. The Old Testament said uh, for the Jews that if they were around or touched a dead animal, that they would at least be unclean for a day. And so if you're doing this every day, then you remain, you remain unclean perpetually because you're, this is your profession. You're t touching unclean animals. You touch dead animals. That's made you unclean, and you're constantly unclean. And for Peter to enter a house of one like that, you know what that makes him as a Jew? Unclean. And so here Cornelius, knowing that he's lodging at Simon the Tanner's, that's already begun to massage Cornelius about his uneasiness because of Peter... If this Jew will stay at the house that is normally unclean, then he might be accepting to come into my house. He might be accepting to come to my house. And so Peter, he's lodging there. He's staying there. So he must be again bending and bowing a little bit concerning these things. And note what even Peter will say later in Acts 10 and verse 28. He said unto them, when he finally gets to Cornelius' house, he said unto them, he says, you know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has shewed me, according to his vision, that I should not call any man common or unclean. He said, we don't keep company together. He says, I'm only here coming to this house today because God's talked to me about this. As a matter of fact, the law of Moses uh, forbade Jews and Gentiles intermarrying, right? What's supposed to happen? That's the reason Samaritans so bad looked upon. It wasn't for them to intermarry or have contract with other nations besides those that were Jews. 
For that matter, when we look at the dietary laws, which uh, the vision that was given to Peter was all about, uh, whenever we look at that, those laws were given to keep the people, the Jews and the Gentiles, separated and apart. It was, that vision was not about, per se, clean and unclean beasts. It was about having fellowship or sharing in festive times and meals with Gentiles. Because the Gentiles could eat anything they wanted to eat. But if a Jew was just to eat the clean animals, which according to the Old Testament were normally then the ones that were offered for sacrifice, which then if was going to be done, normally was going to take place at the temple because you didn't want to eat anything with blood in it. And the only way you could ensure that there was no blood in it is for the priest to know it. And so you would more than likely, here's the thing, whenever they ate ate meat in the Old Testament, it was usually because there was a sacrifice. You didn't kill an animal. You listen to me. You didn't kill an animal and just eat the meat. You did it in sacrifice being in mind. So if they were going to eat meat, it was because they had sacrificed something. You look at it in the Old Testament. I've done a whole teaching on it before. Amen. When they ate meat, it was because they were sacrificing. All right? And they were usually doing that then. If they wanted to be safe about it, they were doing it at the temple. Well, it's hard to have a meal with a Gentile whenever you're sacrificing. (laughs) When you're sacrificing at the temple and going to be eaten there. And so, see, this clean, unclean animal thing was not just about clean, unclean animals. It was then about keeping them separated to fellowship with Jewish people rather than Gentile people. Someone say amen. And so they would be least likely to do that. But Peter has this vision of like a sheet or a blanket comes down. There's all manner of beast upon it. There's fowl. There's creeping things, the Bible says. Wild beast that is upon it. And the Lord speaks to him in this vision. He says, arise and eat. And Peter is like, Lord, I've never, never in my lifetime eaten anything that has been common or eaten anything that has been unclean. I have never done that. As a matter of fact, Peter wasn't quite sure what this vision thing was all about with the Lord saying this and this dropping. He wasn't sure, the Bible says, what the vision had been about. In verse 17, it says he doubted in himself what this vision, what he had seen, should mean. And so this happened three times to Peter. And he says some very interesting words. He puts two words to, to, or three words or so together that's very interesting. He says, not so, Lord, which is interesting. You call somebody your Lord, but you're telling them no. He's like, you're the master, but no, sorry, it's not happening. Well, that's like a contradiction of terms here. But he says, not so, Lord. And that blanket, it, it comes down three different times. Three times that happened. But Peter gets the understanding whenever those three boys show up at his door gets the understanding what this is all about then because as the Lord been dropping that vision three times on him three quote-unquote unclean people Gentiles shows up at the house and Peter makes the correlation and he says God hath shoot me God has shoot me that I should not call any man common or unclean and so again the vision that Peter had wasn't so much about food as it was about His interaction with the Gentiles and the Gentile nation, particularly those who were showing up right there at his door. Look at Acts 10 and verse 19. The Bible says, while Peter thought on the vision, the spirit said unto him, behold, three men seek thee. Verse 20, arise therefore and get thee down and go with them. Look, the Bible says, doubting nothing, 
Nothing for I, that nothing, that's Southern Illinois talk, nothing. Nothing for I have sent them. That phrase doubting nothing means this, make no distinctions. Right. Says they're there by a normal Jewish eye, you'd say that's a Gentile, blah, 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 blah. He said no. He said go down there to receive them doubting nothing. Make no distinctions. Do it without any gang saying that says further in the scripture. That means without saying anything against it. In other words, what the Spirit is saying to Peter is this. Peter, don't allow the fact that they are Gentiles and that you are a Jew to interfere with what God wants to do in their life. That's what he's saying. Don't allow them being a Gentile, you being a Jew, to somehow interfere with what God wants to do in their life. You say, well, that's great. That's a custom then and there. Let me tell you, we could still talk about it today because there's still people that have prejudice today. There's still people that, that's, that, there's still people that's segregated in life today. For some, my, my, my call to you would be this. Don't, don't allow the fact that somebody's skin color is different from yours to interfere with what God wants to do in their life. Let's shave a little closer to home for our generation. Don't, don't, don't allow somebody's alternate lifestyle. Interfere with what God may want to do. Amen. What God may want to do in their life. Someone said like this, I agree with it 100%. And perhaps this is something that was trying to be relayed to Peter. All men have the same creator. Black, white, Asian. All have the same creator. Hey, tell you, we all have the same creator. Whether people profess homosexuality, lesbianism, or they're straight. We all have the same creator. For that matter, you cut us all and we bleed red. Someone say Amen. We all have the same creator, but just as, as, as that much makes sense, we all have the same creator, it also should make sense to us that all men need the same Savior too. We have the same creator, but we need the, na- the same Savior. The Bible says in Amos 9 and verse 7, the Lord is speaking to the children of Israel. He doesn't want them to get too cocky in their relationship. Yes, God set aside a nation. He set aside a nation. He chose a nation. They become his treasure box, a treasure, the Old Testament says. But he didn't want them to get too cocky. And he says in Amos 9 and 7, look what he says. He says, are ye not as the children of the Ethiopians unto me, O children of Israel, saith the Lord? Have not I brought up Israel out of the land of Egypt and the Philistines from Kaphtor and the Syrians from Kerr? You know what? You know what God is trying to tell Israel at this fact? He says, although I may have placed Uh, upon you Jews some favor and although I may have placed upon you some benefits he says is my salvation any more for you than what it's for any other nation in other words he says yeah I delivered you out of Egypt but I've delivered some Philistines too out of uh, from Kephtor and I've also delivered some Syrians out of Kerr in other words he says I might have some favor and benefits towards you but are there anybody anybody is salvation any more for you than what it is for another nation is salvation for you Jews any more than what it would be for a Gentile is salvation for you Samaritans any more for do you understand what I'm saying tonight salvation is for everyone 
He is the Lord of all. Salvation is for everyone. Salvation is just not for Pentecostals. Salvation is just not for apostolics. Salvation are just not for male or female. Let me tell you, salvation is for Methodists. Salvation is for Lutheran. Salvation is for Baptists. Salvation is for Jehovah Witness. What are you saying? I'm saying salvation is for everyone. He's not... I'm favored of God. Let me tell you something. Somebody that's sitting in some other denomination tonight, if they want to repent of their sins and be baptized in Jesus' name and the gift of the Holy Ghost come inside of them, someone say amen. The Old Testament, you know, the Old Testament, you say, well, salvation is of the Jews. You know, that's what the, the woman at the well that spoke to Jesus. Whenever she said salvation, whenever she said salvation is of the Jews, you know what she was uh, alluding to? She's alluding to the fact that Messiah, Jesus Christ, had a lineage that was Jewish. Yeah, salvation was of the Jews. Now, now look at this. And so he, he's dealing with this, this, this prejudice, if you will, in the scripture. And, and, and Peter, he, he gets things right. He follows through. He follows them. He goes to, to uh, Cornelius' house. He's going to preach the gospel there. Amen. We'll learn of a little bit later. Amen. He's going to preach the gospel there. He understands that the Lord is no respecter of persons as a result of, of his vision that he has had. Everything is fine and well. But we also read, we also read somewhere along the line, Peter fell off the boat. He had it right. And then he got it wrong again. He did. He fell off the boat. He thought he had this thing all taken care of with himself. But you know what he does? He becomes discriminant later. Matter of fact, in Galatians 2, it speaks of it. I'm going to read a little bit of it. Amen here tonight. He becomes discriminant again. And this is where you see in Scripture one, one apostle rebuking another apostle. Paul rebukes Peter because he is discriminating Against the Gentiles again. What's a big deal about? Because there was this mindset that Jews were the only ones that could be born again in the water and the spirit. Jews were the only ones that could have God. It was no other classification of people. And so Peter fell off the bandwagon again. The Bible says in verse 11, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him. Paul's writing in Galatians. Paul's saying, I withstood Peter. We got problems among the apostles here. Peter has come to Antioch. Paul says, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. He ate with the Gentiles. But when they were come, when some other Jews came around, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. So what he's saying, before Paul was eating with the Gentiles, what do you think Paul, Paul or Peter was eating with the Gentiles? No doubt he was trying just as he did with Cornelius, to get his hook into a Gentile life for them to receive the same experience that he received. And so he's eating with them, but when these Jew, Jewish people show up, it, it's kind of like everybody's sitting at the same table. When they show up, it's like, yeah, guys, have a great day, you know. <clears throat> I'm over here with the Jews. And Paul is taking all this in. Paul's seen this blatant mess right before him. And he rebukes Peter. He rebukes Peter for doing this. He says, because you separated yourself. Verse 13, and the other Jews dissembled likewise with him. Now, here's the thing. Peter had influence. 
Peter had influence. And because he disengaged from the Gentiles, those that he had influence in his life dissembled or disengaged as well. What we're getting at tonight is this. <laughs> we talk about all day in the, in the safety of the church, how we love everybody. Black, white, red, yellow. How we love the sinner but hate the sin, and we'll, 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 we'll show kindness to those of alternate lifestyles. But the rubber meets the road. The rubber meets the road when somebody shows up and think that you're doing an injustice by just being kind. Peter starts to walk away, but here is the fallout of that. You have a circle of influence whether you like it or not. You have a certain circle of influence that people you influence whether you realize or not. And based upon how you react is going to influence how they react. Someone say amen. amen. Consider how impactful for a moment that Peter was concerning the influence. The Bible says, look at it right there in your Bibles. Verse number 13. In so much people disassembled. In so much that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Now, folks, this is the Barnabas. This is the Barnabas that befriended Saul after he got saved, when nobody else would. This is the Barnabas that took John Mark. Are you hearing me? That took John Mark whenever there was dissension among, and you're, you understand. In other words, this is a guy that knows what it's like to stand alone by himself many times. He's the encourager. He, he's standing by somebody when nobody else is standing by him. But the influence of Peter was enough on him that whenever Peter got up and left, so did the encourager. He said, he, he left with the group too. Barnabas is even going along with the group. Now look at verse 14. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, because the truth of the gospel is this, it's for everybody. The truth of the gospel. I said unto Peter before them all. <laughs> Paul didn't make no bones. This was not a private meeting. <laughs> I the, the law they tell you today that you know you praise in public but you reprove in private this was not in private this was before them all <laughs> don't worry I'm not about ready to start a laundry list here Peter before them if thou being a Jew speaking, speaking to Peter if thou being a Jew livest after the manner of Gentiles and do at, and not as do the Jews why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? He says, you're a Jew, but you're living after the manner of Gentiles. In other words, you was, just, you was eating with them. You was fellowshipping with them. That would not have been the manner of a Jew. He said, you was doing all these things. He says, and if you're, you're, you're doing that and you're not doing as a Jew, why are you trying then to convince sometimes these Gentiles to be like Jews whenever you're Jew and you're, why are you trying to do that? Why, why, are, you try, why are you trying to hold them to a greater standard than what you're willing to keep yourself. Now look at verse 15. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. He's really setting him up. I like it. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. He says, you Jew, 
We believe in keeping the law, doing everything concerning the law. He said, but a man cannot be justified by the works of the law. No more than a Gentile can. But by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. He says, here's the end result. He said, you're wanting Gentiles. Here was the problem, folks. They were wanting Gentiles to be circumcised, all these other things, to become Jews by law, and then their salvation would be endorsed. In other words, they were saying, unless you become a Jew, you can't be a Christian. He says, but listen, he said, it doesn't matter if you're Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, who you are. He said, none of us. None of us are justified by what we do. None of us are justified by the law. The law didn't save anybody. The law just showed people that they were sinners. But it couldn't fix their sin problem. So none of us are justified just as if we never sinned by the law. He said that only comes by Christ Jesus. And he says, so don't you try to hold these Gentiles to a standard when you're living by the very same standard. The only reason we are where we are and who we are is by Christ. Someone say amen. I'm telling you, folks, we dangle things like anvils above people's heads sometimes. And reality is this. You are where you are, and I am where I am because of the blood of Christ Jesus. By the blood of Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter how deep they've been or how far people want to talk about they've been from grace. We all stand at level ground at the foot of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And I'll use scriptures for this, but when you're in the body of Christ, it doesn't matter who you were. It matters who you are now. Hmm? Again, there's not bond or free or Jew or Gentile. There's, there's not male or female in the body of Christ. Let me read the scriptures again because that's who I am. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews, there you go, Peter, or Gentiles, Cornelius, whether we be bond or free and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member. For that matter, the body's not one nationality. For that matter, the body is not one skin color. Amen. But many, Colossians 3 and 10, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither again Jew, Greek, nor Jew, circumcision, nor uncircumcision, barbarian, or Scythian, bond, nor free, but Christ is all. And in all, Galatians 3, verse 27, for as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed. Look at that, verse 29. And heirs according to the promise. He said, if you be Christ, he said, you're Abraham's seed. Father Abraham's seed. Father Abraham of the Jewish people's seed. If you be Christ. I'm not a Jew. I'm not a Jew. We all sit here are Gentiles. Do we have any lineage Jews right here? Bonafide Jews? No, I didn't think so. We are all Gentiles. 
But if you are Christ, if you belong to Christ, someone hearing me? If you belong to Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. See, the Bible tells us Isaiah is writing prophetically long before his time about that suffering servant or Jesus Christ. And he begins to talk about this Christ. He begins to talk about how he's oppressed and how he's afflicted and how he didn't open his mouth and how he was cut off from the land of the living and, and, and how the transgressions of the people did strike him down. All these different measures. And then it says in there, Isaiah says, Who shall declare his generation? Because he's going to come upon the earth. He's going to be cut off, amen, from the earth. And he's not going to have any seed. He never married. He's not going to have any seed. And so as every other man and woman has some type of seed that comes forth that declares their generation, who's going to declare his generation? Someone say amen. Who's going to declare his generation? He's a Jewish man. His seed stops right there. There's no little Jewish boy or Jewish girl that's been birthed from the womb of his wife. Who's going to declare his generation? Someone say amen. But my Bible tells me in John 1 that as many as received him, speaking of Christ Jesus, to them gave he power to become what? The sons, the sons, the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Who's going to declare his generation? He don't have a little boy running around. Honey, whenever you were born again of the water and the spirit, he gave you power to become his son and his daughter. We are the declarers of his generation. And if we are Christ, then we are Abraham's the Jewish people don't have much on me being born again of the water and the spirit because whenever I became his, I become Abraham's seed. Someone say amen. He is Lord of all. I'll end with this. 823, you can stand with me. Insomuch then whenever Paul is writing the letter to the church at Rome, he states these words, and I'll just share them with you in Romans 3 and 9. He says, what then? Are we better than they? Making reference to the Gentiles. Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. They're all under sin. He then says in verse 29, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. How possible? Because whenever they become Christ, they become Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So Acts 10 deals with a lot of the breaking down, if you will, of that. Jesus Christ, he said, came to break down the middle wall partition that was between them. And as it was done, the moment that the veil in the temple was written twain and his flesh was pierced, the playing out of it, though, is still happening here in the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 10, seen right here, and still yet it will over and over again. They'll come back to the table, and there'll be discussions in Acts 15. The Jerusalem church will get together and say, well, my God, what about circumcision? 
What about Jewish circumcision? No, I have a big old discussion in Acts 15 about circumcision. And Paul in his writings in the New Testament Scripture will begin to talk to us not about a literal circumcision, but a circumcision that takes place without hands. See, there's a lot of things in the Old Testament. Man, that don't happen anymore. We don't have those dietary laws. There's a lot of that stuff in the Old Testament that was just ceremonial. It was all ceremonial. Something that you don't see change from Old Testament to New Testament is moral law. Moral law doesn't change because it's connected to him. And he changes not. But ceremonial law, you'll see it done away with because it was fulfilled in him. You hearing me? That's the reason why. When we had Valentine's banquet, there's people sitting in there eating pork chops of all things. That would have never happened in the Old Testament. No. Because if you're eating that old pig, there's a Gentile that could have ate that too and you'd been in fellowship with them at the table fact is though we all sinners we all sin if it was just a Jewish thing Christ would have never looked at them and said if I wanted to I could raise up stones and date these stones up into Abraham no not how you were born but it's how you were born again it's how you were born again and let's just bow our heads in this place Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.